Hold us. Welcome. This is Josh Tipple of Integrating Presence. And today I have Antonia with me. Is that, is that right, Antonia? Antonia is usually how we Antonia, thank you. Okay. So how's it going? Uh, how, how are you and what's going on today? Yeah, it's good. I am actually down in Southern Mexico, um, trying to absorb some of the heat in the ocean to help things move more easily. So I feel very fortunate to be able to be here. Very cool. So the standard format is, especially if I don't know the guest, is to th toss it right back to you and let you introduce yourself. Who is Antonia and what does she do? So uh, I am a registered psychotherapist, a meditation teacher, yoga teacher, a lot of the standards that seem to be in the healing circles. Um, and in the last 17 years, uh, you know, kind of launched all of that launched in the last 17 years because of a very sort of strange shift in realities that happen. Um, and because of that, sort of a lot of the work that I do and the teachings that I do uh, moved literally into a whole other reality. So that's the big picture. Well, th that is the big picture. Um, I, I would imagine there are still some people listening to this that have are kind of still in the standard version of reality or more day-to-day. -day, uh, my fiance calls it the base program. Is there anything worth mentioning from that to, to yeah. bring people to where, or, or were you always in, in this type of um, thing, you know, the standard work-a-day world? Were you ever part of that? And yeah. Yeah, I came from, before 2006, I came from a very academic, political reality. I was in human rights and international development. It was a very supercharged reality and a very thinking reality, a very intellectual reality. And then in 2006, for reasons that I think, you know, some, many people believe there's sort of a life path, something there was enough space for something to click for my life, you know, a life path to ignite. And it became extremely bizarre, according to these old standards, and uh, actually became very, very uncomfortable. And what I started to do and still do is I release pain. I just continue to release trauma out of this body. And through that process of releasing pain almost on a daily basis, uh, physical, emotional, mental, energetic discomfort, disorder, something that's not in alignment, then a lot of new wisdom and knowing came in and a lot of questions as to what reality is really about. So for example, the question was if pain can be there one second and gone the next, and all of the thought processes and beliefs and feelings that go with it, if it can be there one second and gone the next, could it actually be real? And so then I began to ask, well, if pain isn't actually real, what does that make this reality? And then what is actually real? And what I found underneath every painful rock was that the reality that kept showing was uh, one of compassion and love and connection. That seemed to be the standard that continued to show up and all the wisdoms that were sort of locked underneath the pain revealed themselves that in a way that it was really hard for me to take because it was so, you know, in academia, it would be considered fluff and mushy. And it took years for me to actually, you know, absorb that our reality is actually founded upon and our, I believe our original selves are constructed upon energies and a reality of just love. I mean, and I think that that's just physics. It became 
just physics. It's the way that we operate. Yeah. Well, you, you said a lot there, so we can, um, before we even start unpacking that, let's, let's, um, back up here to, well, first off, I want to say that's a huge, um, part of my path to is investigating the true nature of reality. And to me, that's, I mean, if it's other, everything else is just a falsehood and, and a lie and not really worth the time or delusion and deception. There's so many different overlays of deception and things that just aren't false. And there's a lot of people with a lot of good intentions. They just haven't looked deeper into what's going on. I know I'm um, do the same thing of repeating this uh, other people as well. I mean, then there are certain things that are helpful along our path uh, for a certain time. And then there's layers and layers and layers. But let's, let's just start uh, with pain itself. Okay. So this is, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been into the Buddhist teachings and Buddhist practices and this word dukkha, uh, which is sometimes translated as pain, but not like suffering, which is a really intense word in the, um, in the Western uh, world because people think, well, I'm not suffering. That's so intense, but it can even be as subtle as unsatisfactoriness. This thing that just, these things aren't right. You know, I, no matter how much I, I think I I've got everything I want, you know, or, or I, if I could just get this other thing, then I'll be happy. And it's just, that thing never ends. Um, so it's just that nothing ever satisfies. But when you talk the the pain body, now this is something in, you know, synchronous, um, synchronous here because my fiance, uh, was in physical pain here recently. And mom, I think she's, she's had extra ramping up of uh, physical pain and stuff like this. So, uh, from a, from personal experience, let's, let's start there. Let's, um, I guess it maybe talk more about the pain body, how these, how this perception, let's just, a uh, perception of pain or experience of pain. And I mean, so it's more palpable for people who can do physical pain, but I know I've experienced a lot of psychological and psychic emotional pain too. So yeah, there's so many different pains and a lot of times it can be felt in the body, whatever pain we're having, it, it seems to have a physical correspondence in the body. So let's talk about that. What, is there an origin to this? Do you think, you know, where does it come from? How does it get there? How does it get reinforced? And then how do we work yeah. with it and let it go? So a lot of, a lot of questions there. <laughs> I think it's a great conversation. So mm -hmm. the way I understand and way pain came to me and, and its function is that we have, I think I see ourselves right now in this reality, we've kind of crunched ourselves into a very small, dense reality. And in that reality, there's a very unaware space because, because consciousness doesn't flow very well in this reality. Now, where consciousness doesn't flow, pain exists. And we could use pain or suffering as a state of not seeing, as a state where consciousness doesn't flow very well. So where consciousness doesn't flow very well, the nature of pain is actually to only see itself. And the example I use with my clients is, for example, if you're riding a bicycle and you get hit by a car and your leg is broken, you could have a dozen people that flood up to you that want to assist you, that want to get you to the hospital, that want to make sure you're okay. But the only thing that you and your broken leg can see is your broken leg. So that pain keeps us in a state of unseeing and a very narrow view of our reality. The wonder of that is an out of that narrow view of reality, that 
pain only sees itself, its own needs and how to get out of pain. And one of the ways to get out of pain is be avoidant and deny it, which is what one of the ways that we cope in this reality and keeps us stuck in this reality. But one of the things that come out of this very crunched, narrow reality is we develop incredible creative capacities to then expand our reality so we get out of this pain space. And so one of the things, the, the, the eras that I think we're moving into now is to draw in, to bring in many different flavors of seeing, of seeing, of awareness, which is consciousness, which is to see beyond the pain. So I think that that's what's happening now is that we are getting very creative on how we draw in awareness slash consciousness, which is love. This is a good way to put it. Um, I, I might add something there. And to me, those are uh, perceptual changes that they're, they're, it's a different way of perceiving what's happening right. to us. So that's we, we go from perceiving it one way to expanding our perception to having all kinds of other choices in how to see this and to then respond with it, perhaps. But yes, I, I, I would say that the, the, the narrowness of consciousness, you know, the, the, the untrained mind, it's when it's in pain, it wants to deal with that because that's the most important yep. thing. Consciousness seems to be drawn to where it's needed the most, right? But the, like you're saying, it tends to get locked into a narrow fixated view, but doesn't really have the proper tools or vision, like you're saying, in order to know how to see it in, in a better light or what to do with it and how to um, respond to it. Um, yes. Um, now, the other thing you said there, at the, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, one of the things that I teach my clients then mm -hmm. is to reframe their perception. Yeah. And one of, one of the reframings that I offer consistently in all the teachings and the retreats is, is if pain can be there one second and gone the next, meaning is it actually real? Meaning then pain can show up and it can hurt like the devil and it can take over. But I think the shifting needs to begin in this not believing it not believing the story that pain is trying to tell you is a fundamental foundation in beginning to bring in the energy of consciousness of awareness of the just pure seeing so that we can shift our relationship with pain which then allows it the very energy the density of pain itself starts to shift and that's where more potential comes in and that's where different flavors of love come in and that's where different flavors of compassion come in and shifting the relationship to pain and therefore shifting our reality very good points and i want to get to love and dig into that in a little bit because that's a huge one and so this this said it really well there, um, our relationship in the story and the belief. Those three keywords are so powerful. And I think um, Western society has been conditioned so much to have to believe or disbelieve things. And it's actually, in, in my experience, there's no need that we have to believe or disbelieve anything. There's another option of just taking it as information. That way, the emotional investment isn't required uh, to believe or disbelieve something. It takes a lot of emotional energy to believe or disbelieve something, but it's not actually necessary. Mm -hmm. And when we're looking mm -hmm. for the, the truth of the way things are, belief can actually get in the way of truth because it's, it's really mm -hmm. hard to let go of a belief. Even if something true comes in that counters a false belief we have, then it's harder to let go of that belief because we've spent so much time and energy upholding a belief that maybe no, no longer might serve us. 
Now, the stories are great too, right? Because we, we understand our, our world and stories, but a, a lot of times they're just not helpful. I mean, look at the, the media and stuff, all these, I mean, they're, they're fascinating stories, but at the end of the day, how many are actually helping improve our lives? You know, uh, we don't hear about all the, the goodness in the world too, and, and the love that people show each other and the helpful things and stories can be based around them, but we, they, they don't really s sell that well a lot of times right and now the but the relationship is that is so important because even when we're not around other people we're in relationship to every single experience that we have you know every single phenomena we can have a relationship and even an absence of a relationship is a type of relationship too yeah but and i think that that relationship like it shows up you know, whether I'm in my, what I would call like the programmed reality, or I'm in an authentic reality shows up in ha what, what appears in that relationship, the energy between me and whatever the other is. And, you know, the way I uh, experience it, or the way I gauge it is if they're showing up only as either neutrality or love or compassion, then I believe that I'm that there's high consciousness flowing, and that we're in you know, we're in that, in a, more of an original reality, a higher reality. But if there's, if there's fear or shame or rage or resistance, then that's a programmed reality. That's fear, shame, rage that needs to be observed and brought into awareness so that we can reveal the story underneath, you know, and then release it. Very good. Now, have you come across people that, you know, when we tell them about like shame, blame, and guilt, that they can add extra layers of shame, blame, and guilt on top? because they have shame, blame, and guilt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel shameful that I have shame. You know, so it's just this compounding thing, you know? Right. Um, so yeah. that's, um, so you, so you're familiar with this too. How do we, how do we deal with people like that? And then also, um, people have to be open too, because there, there's certain types of people, if you know, they're just not open to um, help a lot of times, right? Or, or want to hear things because then they think that they've, that they should have done it on their own already, you know, that, that, that uh, right, that then it's something they've done wrong, because they haven't done it on their own yet, right? Because, um, because, uh, oh, then it's like, okay, I, I, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that that's all part of the teaching to reframe it and part of the, you know, not believing in the essence of the story. As soon as you identify it as fear, shame and rage, I, you know, teach people as soon as you identify it, then know that you're seeing a story and that's your opportunity to change your relationship with it. No matter what it's saying, no matter what the thought process is, as soon as you identify your, and this is difficult because we live in realities of denial. So to actually see, be willing to see that I'm, I'm in a story of fear, shame, and rage, whether it's directed outwards or whether it's directed inwards, to still identify it as a story and a manifestation of a reality you can choose to, to buy out of and actually transform, then we buy out no matter what the direction of the fear, shame, and rage, guilt, grief, disgust is. It doesn't matter. So just to identify, and I assist my clients in identifying it through the feeling in the body. Where is the vibration of fear, shame, rage showing up? And if you can't get in the body, then it's identifying through a thought process. Is this thought process one of reflecting one of compassion, love, even neutrality? And if it's not, then you have a breadcrumb trail into what's going on where you're holding the density of the story the non-reality in your being in your body this is 
I, I think this is the absolute key and one of the most important mm -hmm. points of all this is our identification because we can have all these experiences, but the moment we pick it up and say, okay, this is who I am. This is me. I'm an, I, I'm a rageful person. You know, I'm an angry, I'm a sad person. I'm a, you know, I, I'm this, I'm that, and that's who I am. People make that the, who they are, but that's not it. It's just a, an experience passing through, right? These, these experiences come and go. It's, only when we pick it up, latch it on and cling tightly to it and say, this is me, this is mine, this is who I am. That's when the problems start uh, to me. Yeah. We've been trained for thousands of years to cling. Yeah, well, and I think, yeah. and we've been, we've inherited, I believe in the very dense programming of the physical self ways of clinging and holding and believing. And so I think that we, uh, you know, uh, we at this time, I believe it's an extremely magical time because I think that we are getting enough energy that's starting to come in to start to shift both on the individual and the collective level, these old programs of holding these old belief systems of oppression, of resistance. So I think that we are getting deeper and deeper, bringing the seeing into the old ways that we even thought were love. And we recognize actually, this isn't love at all. This is just another way of denying and avoiding and depressing. So we're bringing energy into those really ancient, ancient programs of holding and resisting, I think. And that's what makes this era right now. And I mean, era like few hundred years, I think we're probably gonna be going through of this big uh, reveal and this big opening and this big expansion. I think it's quite a rich time. Well, yeah, yeah, we can definitely get into the, the, um, the current energetics and uh, where you think things are going in more detail, but the, the clinging thing is absolutely um, clear mm -hmm. and on board with that. The, the more we cling, the more we're going to experience suffering, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so how can we mm -hmm. cling less or at least tighten the clinging now? I get it. If someone throws us a life preserver, you know, that makes sense to cling on to for a while, but just because it saves our life doesn't mean we're going to go and, and carry it around with us the rest of our lives. Right. And cling on to that. So there's a time to pick up something and there's a time to put it down and there's a time to, to tighten our grip on something. But more than likely, if we just walk around with a tight fist all the time, it's more helpful if we let you know, loosen that grip and then we have more functionality in our hand when we, you know, yeah. Uh, and um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, anger is one of those things, for example, that can serve us. Something's not working. Something got in that shouldn't get in and we have a contracted state. We observe the contracted state. We let the body move out of a fight or flight state and we go, okay, what got in? And now I can move into a higher self and decide how do I need to rearrange my boundaries in order for this, this being to feel safe, at least right now. And our definition of safety, if we're aware, will also shift and change as we continue to construct a safer reality, right? As we continue to see that what we thought was a threat a year ago or in the past lifetime is actually no longer a threat. But you know, something like anger, I think can serve us in a second, in a moment, that contracted state. And then if we're in a aware state, we can let it go and mine it for what it's trying to tell us. I totally agree. And, and yeah, sometimes the most compassionate thing we can do is set and reinforce boundaries instead of just completely cutting people off forever. I mean, you know, it, it, that boundary might need to be there for the rest of our yeah. lives, but, but you know, as things change, you know, yeah, there were still the protection, 
but then the opportunity if there needs to be or wants to be reconnection in the future, but maybe not. So that there's there's options and there's there's safety and protection. Things change and things evolve. Yeah, that's it's it's a beautiful thing. And anger I found too is like it's to me it's kind of like a last ditch effort because sometimes if people are in an abusive situation, that anger is you know it could could be a motivating force to get up and get out of there, do anything one needs to get out of an abusive situation, you know, instead of, oh, I should just accept this, this type of thing, these obvious things to us, but that's a whole nother um, dynamic too. Um, so yeah, this let's, I, I'd like, I'd like to um, transition to the, the love thing. And, uh, you know, in, in the Buddhist traditions, they're called the Brahma Viharas are the dwelling place, uh, the sublime abodes. And these are four flavors of love and they, they're boundless states. So there is no competition needed. You know, there is no limit, you know, they're, they're inexhaustible and without measure, um, and so compassion is one. You already mentioned that. To me, that's uh, acknowledging pain and then caring, you know, authentically as much as I can for it and then wanting it to cease and, and then knowing peace. And then there's this loving kindness. I like to call it um, uh, unstoppable friendliness too. You know, it's just well-wishing. And to me at the start of this, this is just an absence of ill will. You know, as long as there's no ill will, in a sense, that's kindness, loving kindness. And it can just, you know, may you be safe, happy, peaceful, healthy, strong, you know, um, free and at ease. And then there's this, uh, the one that's often overlooked is this, this um, rejoicing, being happy for other people's happiness. If there's how many billion people on the earth, if we could be happy for their happiness, that increases our chances so much, you know? And my tendency is to get jealous for someone. Oh, why are they happy and I'm not? Then I realize, hey, wait a second. There's no, there's, a, I'm not competing for this. I, it, just because they have happiness doesn't mean that I can't have that or be happy for their happiness. And so it's such a great feeling to rejoice in others' happiness. And then equanimity, what you called P or neutrality in, in a way that's it. So it's, it's this grand, uh, grandparently love that, you know, I'm here. I, I, I know this. I've seen this. I've been through this. And at the same time, I can't make the choices of anyone else for them. They have to live their own life, but I'm here in support and I care and I'm not indifferent, but I can't live your life for you. You have to do it yourself. Yeah. And that presence is, you know, as we're finding out, it's so much stronger and more healing than we ever knew. I think the power of presence uh, is really coming to the forefront more and more, that it is a superpower and has a lot more to offer than our Western mind has believed it to be. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Generosity, you know, is, is great because mm -hmm. we can be generous with our presence. I mean, look at the trillions that are spent on advertising just to get our attention. But when we really give authentic attention to someone to really see and hear them, it is such a great gift that, mm -hmm. I mean, it's invaluable. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and, I think it's a wellspring of a healing energy that comes out of that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, Antonia, um, I think we, we're starting um, getting in the home stretch here. Um, I, I want to um, give you a chance to 
tell people um, where they can find you online? Um, mm -hmm. You know, what kind of events you might have be coming up? Um, if you have any products, um, services, you know, how people can get a hold of you, uh, anything else you want to promote or draw people's attention to. And then why don't you leave us with the last words, like what, um, what, what messages do you want to leave with the audience as we come to a close here? Thanks for that. Yeah, so everybody can find me on my website, which is tribetocollective.com. One word, tribetocollective.com. And uh, I'm actually down in Mexico to find locations and construct a new reality down here of healing um, and presence. Uh, so to host more retreats, because I usually do retreats up in Canada. So I find the energy in the South and the Pacific just oh, so huge uh, and, and you know, uh, it really feeds the change. So I'm trying to construct that down here. So you can keep an eye out for future retreats. Um, I do silent meditation retreats, plant medicine retreats, et cetera. So those are all in the, coming down the pipeline. On my website, you can see, uh, you know, I work with groups. Uh, I work one-on-one. -on -one. Um, that's booked until mid-2024. So one-on-one -on -one moving to groups is a better option that we're trying to increase. And a lot of what I had experienced and went through from 2006 up until including the pandemic, I put in, wrote in a book. It was almost like this compulsive writing, especially that came out the last couple of years on what, you know, what, what it was to live a reality of releasing pain and what came through the wisdoms that came through on how to bring in a higher reality into the body, very practical uh, approaches to bringing in consciousness, healing presence into a being that's moving through and transitioning into the next reality. So that's a book. It's called Dismantling the Third Dimension. And you can find that on the website as well. And of course, on Amazon. And my message, I guess, would be, um, I think it's really important that we begin to see and witness when we're sitting in one, you know, a, a dense reality, the false reality, and how it feels and looks and our perceptions and our thought processes are different when we're in a higher reality. And so in order to navigate between the two, we need to create a space in between that brings in the energy of the higher reality. We need to take the time uh, of nothingness, of spaciousness, in order to bring in the higher energies into our beings. This is my real estate that I own. And in order to shift realities, I need to bring in the potential of a new reality. I think it's just so important to take that time and that space to get very quiet, to do the inner work, because the new reality is within here. It's not out there. That is where we are voyaging. That is where our adventure is. So meditation and silence and space are the most important medicines, I think. And more and more of us are discovering that. But I think it's beyond just a good habit. I think it's fundamental in order to shift these realities is to create that space and to bring it into your being. I couldn't amplify and support meditation more. So thank you so much, Antonia, for joining. And may you all be well. And may your meditation practices and inward journeys go well. And may you find a connect with uh, the, the right guides and friends and communities to help support that. Be well, Gosh, you all. I really feel your well wishes. Thank you so much. And I return them to you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much.